God of grace, God of mercy, God of extraordinary wonder and surprises, meet us here today. Help our words, help our hearts, help our minds, help our bodies to be directed towards you and by you. And when they aren't, help us to have gentleness with ourselves and each other and to see you in and beyond the flaws of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was at a conference this week. Uh, many of you may have gone to conferences for your job at one point or another. Uh, because mine is being pastor, I went to a conference this week that bills itself as the Conference for Progressive Evangelicals. Um, Labels are labels, right? I could give you a 10-minute speech on my problems with the word progressive and how not everybody agrees on everything or my problems with the word evangelical and how we're trying to reclaim it. Um, but in the end, what that meant was that I was in a group of people, all of whom loved Jesus and women and queer people. <laughs> that was the basic thing that brought us all together. Um, and we were trying to figure out how to do church in a different way, what it meant to do church in a more expansive way. And there was a workshop on the way that we worship, and a worship leader got up and shared that she had been a worship leader for decades, for decades, uh, singing songs uh, in a very sort of contemporary Christian-type setting, so singing a lot of the same songs over and over again. But she'd also been going on this journey with God about whether God was all the things that she had been taught God was as a child, whether she was all the things that she had been taught she was as a child, or whether there might be more to the story. And she was in worship, singing a song whose words she had sung a thousand times before, a thousand times before, and those words were, um, I'm so unworthy, and yet you still love me. I'm so unworthy, and yet you still love me. Some of you may have sung songs like that, or that song. And she's singing it, and she's sung it a thousand times, and it has been meaningful to her a thousand times, and she has cried singing this song, and she has taught it to other people. And she's in the middle of singing it, and all of a sudden she thinks, wait, what? <laughs> wait, why am I unworthy? Can someone explain it to me again? Can someone tell me? Can someone, can someone show me why it's so important for me to dwell in my unworthiness? Is that really how God thinks about me, as so unworthy that I can never be close to God? Is unworthiness the place that I want to sit in my faith? And for her, in that moment, she decided that she was not singing that song anymore in worship. <laughs> I think uh, there's a reason to not sing that song, if that's where you're at. Um, but there's also a reason that we do sing that song which is that so many of us have spent so much of our life journeys and spiritual journeys feeling unworthy in one way or another of someone or something. Unworthiness is a part of our human experience of trying to figure out who we are and how to live and what comes next. This feeling of being unworthy um, is one that we all deal with. And I think in the song, the goal, right, is to offer us comfort in that. That whether we've made mistakes or whether we're a perfect checklist person or we live up to an idea of what God wants from us, it doesn't matter. God is with us. We don't have to be God to be loved by God. 
but it's also worth asking the question, am I worthy? Worthy of what? What does it mean to have worth? And why do I spend so much of my time feeling like I don't have it? What about humanity? What about God? What about this universe is leading us on that path? One of the things I know that for me is a part of the experience of feeling a lack of worth, a worthlessness, is often comparison. <laughs> Many of you may have heard uh, the Teddy Roosevelt quote or somebody quote, it's a little bit unclear, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And yet we are spending a lot of our time trying to figure out what our life is and what our life means by comparing it to other people's lives. Right? Do I have as much as Cindy Lou over here? Am I as accomplished as Steve over there? Am I as beloved as Am I as interesting as? Am I as smart as? Am I as confident as? Is my house as nice as? We spend a lot of time in comparison with family and friends and with strangers trying to figure out where we sit on this spectrum of value that we assume is assigned to all of us. What is inherent in that comparison is that somehow the way that we are will never be equal but will always be ranked. There's always going to be a list, and some folks are always going to be at the top, and some folks are always going to be at the bottom. But Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us very well. And in this scripture, which we're going to get into because it seems uh, pretty obvious at first, and then it's actually kind of like tricky and complicated and weird and strange, uh, I think Jesus is using our tendency to compare, our thirst for comparison, against us. <laughs> what we usually do is look at people who we think their lives are perfect um, and we compare ourselves to them and find ourselves wanting and force ourselves to change so that we can grow towards that new, new thing. Or we just sit in our shame that we don't have that thing about the person to whom we're comparing ourselves. We pick something better. And a, just a sub piece of advice for that picking of something better. Uh, my husband has always said to me, if you're going to be jealous, you have to be jealous of the whole thing. If you're going to be jealous of the perfect Facebook feed with the beautiful pictures of the dinners out, you have to be jealous of whatever happened to that person after and to whatever came before. And in almost every case, the whole story is pretty equal to ours in its mix of joy and sorrow, its mix of accomplishment and failure. If you're going to be jealous, you have to be jealous of the whole thing. And that'll often help you get back to being grateful for what you are and what you have. But while we're doing this comparison, we often pick things that we think are much better than us, right? We compare ourselves to the president, or we compare ourselves to the 30 under 30, or the 40 under 40, or the 50 under 50, or whoever it is that we feel like we're behind. But Jesus invites us to a really different comparison. <laughs> Jesus says, compare yourself to the birds who you see flying above you every day. What's your life like compared to theirs? Compare yourself to the lilies. Consider the flowers. Smell the roses, we might say. Compare your sense of your worth to what you see in a natural world that cares not for worth or anxiety at all, but simply lives and grows and tries to survive. 
one of the many parts of this passage that has always confused me and bugged me a little bit is he says, of the birds, think about how the birds eat and fly and do their thing. Aren't you so much more valuable than them, right? You'll be taken care of too. And a part of me thinks like, am I? Aren't birds valuable? <laughs> isn't, isn't part of it that every piece of creation is a valuable thing? But I think that's part of his challenge. Jesus is always asking impossible questions that force us to rethink our assumptions about how the world works. And this one, I think, is forcing us to reconsider the whole process of comparison as how we find comfort and of comparison as how we find value. That even the things we thought we were obviously more valuable than, little birds, silly flowers, when we really consider them, might be full of lessons to teach, might be full of worth and dignity that is completely unrelated to anything they can do or make happen. The lily does not have a checklist. The bird does not have a five-year plan for success. And yet, here they are, alive and surviving and thriving. And perhaps there's a different value system than this ladder of comparison we are so used to that we might be being invited to use to look at ourselves. A lot of people think this passage, right? It says, um, do not be anxious. Don't worry. The birds get worms. Don't worry about food. The lilies have petals. Don't worry about clothes. And it leans into a sort of promise of comfort, right? What Jesus is saying to us is like, chill, you'll always have what you want. You'll always have what you need. You'll always have enough clothing. You'll always have enough food. You'll always have enough housing. And it feels good for five seconds until you look at the world and realize that that is like patently and clearly not true <laughs> of lots of people that God loves and lots of people who love God and all people because in the end we were all created. It's just not true that loving God and not being anxious makes everything okay and pays our rent. Clearly not how it works. So if that's not what Jesus is saying, what is Jesus saying? Well, let's consider the lily. Let's consider the lily in its beauty, in its gorgeousness, in its spark of life. Does its lack of worry mean that it will never wither? Does its lack of worry mean that it will never die? Does its lack of worry mean that it will never be in the shade rather than in the sun? No. But the lack of worry might mean that life is different. <laughs> that being alive like a flower is different because you can be alive without thinking that what life is is what you do, but rather that what life is is who you are, who you want to be, who you have been made to be already. And that is a different way to think about the value and substance of your life than always imagining that the value is in what you do next and what other people can see you have done. The world is a world right now <laughs> that really puts a lot of pressure on us to think of ourselves as worthless and valueless unless we can make the resume and the list of proof of value, right? Proof of purchase, proof of, proof of need, proof of worth. But that's not how worth works. 
It's not just the contemporary Christian songs that are asking this question. One of the most popular top five pop songs of last year was Earned It by The Weeknd, right? From Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, all about earning relationships, earning love. One of the biggest pop songs of this year was Worth It by Fifth Harmony. I kept on getting that damn song stuck in my head while I was working on this sermon, you guys. Um, that's all about how relationships are transactional, right? Like, I'm worth it, so be with me. I'm amazing, so be with me. I'm better than other people, so be with me. Instead of an idea that we have inherent worth and dignity because we are. And that story has been told, and that value has been set, and there's nothing that anyone can do to take it away um, or change it. You are worthy. You are full of worth because God has made you and not because of what you will do. Not because of what you can do. And that means that we all have worth and we all have lessons to teach as well as lessons to learn. When we are confident in our worth, it doesn't just mean that we let go of insecurity or that we let go of trying to prove it. Being secure in our worth means we can live out of abundance live out of generosity. Many of us are leading lives where we don't take risks, where we don't um, give of ourselves, where we don't offer, where we, don't be, where we aren't vulnerable. Because we think our worth is going to depend on what we do, we live scared. We live in a box. But knowing your worth shows you a bigger world, shows you a bigger vision. Not that you are better than others or perfect, but that if inherent worth and dignity is about who we are, we can both value ourselves and see new value in others. I find this challenging. I don't know if you find this challenging to think of myself as a person of holy worth before I wake up in the morning, before I do anything, regardless of what I do. And I want to share with you one of my spiritual practices, uh, which gets at a couple of different things. Uh, I have this collection of art on my laptop. Um, and I'm going to try and remember the name of every artist, but I might not. So I'll you know, send it in the e-news so that I give appropriate credit. Um, I have a collection of art that I found in different places in different times of different people's finding of themselves in Jesus and in God. And they're forcing a story of worth out of the God story. Because in the Christian church, right, the God story has often been one of work for it. It's also been one of one kind of person, of one kind of way, of one kind of journey. So when I'm having trouble forcing my story out of God, I look at these pictures. So I'll invite you two, too. So this is um, this one actually doesn't have an artist because it's a, a, the artist has been lost. But it's a Chinese uh, depiction of the annunciation of the angel to the shepherds, right? Right before Jesus is born, the shepherds are sitting under a tree and the angel comes to them and comes before them. And the little signature is on the bottom right. This is uh, from an Aboriginal community in Australia. This is the Holy Spirit. It's called Flame of Life. This is the fire that lives inside of us, right? This is the fire that God has put in us, the Flame of Life. This uh, is a depiction of the woman at the well and of Jesus uh, challenging the woman at the well's own description of herself, right? The woman at the well knew what other people thought her worth was. She was a woman who said, oh, I know what you think about me. I got all the husbands, right? I'm the one nobody likes. I'm the, I got a bad reputation. And Jesus said, no, that's not your identity. That's not your worth. That's not your value. 
I know you. I know everything about you. You are full of worth and I love you. And this um, uh, is a, th this Indian artist does a lot of contemporary depictions of um, Jesus that just speak to me. And here, right, we see the lilies and the birds. The sun has a face. <laughs> the sun has a face. Every part of our universe, every bit of it created, full of worth. He has dragged out of the Jesus story himself, his people, right? His worth and his identity. You can go to the next piece. Uh, this is um, one that I found a long time ago that was done in collaboration with the people in the photo. I think that's important to note um, that has been meaningful to me. Uh, my uncle is mentally and physically disabled and lives in a residence of people who are. This is the Down Syndrome Last Supper. I don't know if any of you have seen the full uh, depiction, um, but uh, people got together, the models and the photographer, and talked about what this piece of art was going to be and who they were and where they were. And this is one of the ways that the Last Supper works. This is one of the kinds of disciples that God has made us to be on the earth. That's, uh, who knows who that is? That's Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> um, but it's Kendrick Lamar as an icon. Uh, I don't know how many of you listen to To Pimp a Butterfly, but to me, uh, it's some of the best uh, spiritual music that's come out in the last 10 years. The way that he talks about God and depression and God and anxiety is some of the best theology anybody's done in America in a while. Um, he is a spiritual icon for many, and that's what this artist saw in him, right? Kendrick's image of God, that Jesus had put a holy spark in him, and it was speaking to the universe. Uh, this is a Maffa painting, Maffa style of art um, in Africa, and this is also the Last Supper. Um, people gathered around one common bowl, one common table, one common cup, like we do every Sunday. And I don't know about you, but this circle uh, always makes me feel more invited than the ones where everybody's at one table looking at you. <laughs> And it feels like they're figuring out whether you can come up to the table or not. So this one feels to me like a holier communion. And this is Perpetua and Felicity uh, by Maria Cristina, um, a, another wonderful artist. Perpetua and Felicity were two early saints, uh, martyrs of the church, who in the second or third century were killed for their love of Jesus, but also for their love of one another. They said that their hearts were like one heart. And we often think of them now as the first lesbian saints. For many, they're the patron of same-sex couples uh, within the, the queer-affirming Catholic community. So Perpetua and Felicity, brought into Maria Cristina's world, dragged there by her force, by her conviction that I am in God, and I am in Jesus, and I have worth, and my story and my vision is here. And then this last one, this one I just love. This was a piece of protest art that came out when some of the first kind of Doma stuff, and then marriage things were happening. This is Noah's gay cruise. Um, so it's <laughs> the ark with a couple gay weddings happening up here. It's small, so you can't see, but um, this was one of the first couples married after it became legal in California. Um, the two giraffes, the two flamingos, uh, and I think that might be Ellen and Portia. It has to be a little bigger for me to see. And then drowning in the sea are protesters, right, with signs with slurs on them. Uh, haters, right? Not my theology that haters drown. Haters also have inherent worth and dignity. But I can see how for this artist, right, he was pulling out his experience of the world and finding God and Jesus in it.
the world hasn't made this easy for all of us to do, right? A lot of us see images all our lives of perfect halo, long hair, white Jesus, doing everything right. The disciples don't even show up. They certainly don't look like us. <laughs> so it makes it hard to see um, our worth and value in the God story and our role and place in the God story. So that's why I look at this art. <laughs> that's why I look at this gallery. I have 10 or 12 more that I can send to all of you. Um, I see the way in which when we look at the raven, when we look at the lily, when we look at our neighbor, when we look at someone across the world, God is showing us the bigness of value that God has put in the world. God is showing us the image of God that we each bear. And sometimes the world is going to be so crappy that we have to pull that sense of worth and value, right? We have to boldly hold it. But it's there, and it's ours. And it's not about what we do, and it's not about who we impress, and it's not about who we compare ourselves to. It is inherent to us. And when we know our worth, we will no longer be working to earn it. And if you weren't working all the time to earn your worth, how would you live your life differently? If so many moments in your day weren't spent trying to impress other people or to go by their rules or to make sure that you're being obedient to the world, what would you be freed to do? How would your motivations be free to be different? And you might be more generous, more risky, more, more vulnerable. You might take paths that aren't the paths your parents took. If you knew your worth, if you didn't have to work for it all the time, what would you start working for instead? What would you start working for instead? And this is how Jesus ends the passage. Strive for the kingdom. Strive for the kingdom. Not worrying doesn't mean never doing anything, right? We don't sit in our worth all our life long and be like, I'm worthy, and also I'm slowly fading because I haven't stood up in 10 years, you know? Um, it's I'm worthy, so I don't have to work for my worth. Instead, I can work for the kingdom. And whether I get there, it's, it's okay, because <laughs> it's not about how successful I am. It's about how I live, and it's about my motivation. I will be changed as a person when I stop working to find worth and when I instead work to find Jesus, and when I instead put effort out into the world to find the kingdom. Because I won't be putting effort out because I think it'll pay off. I'll be putting it out because I'm motivated and I'm inspired, right? Because it's something that I desire in my heart. Because I know that even if I don't do it, I'm still loved. There's a difference in those two ways of doing things. Doing things because we think we have to and we'll be lost if we don't, or doing things because we are motivated and inspired by the picture before us, by the picture that I see in this art of what a real kingdom would look like, <laughs> where all are honored and all are held and all are seen, and justice rolls down like a river. I want you to take a moment and find somebody here. Find somebody here and tell them one thing you love about yourself. One thing you celebrate about yourself. Yeah, you too, David. Um, one thing you celebrate about yourself that isn't something that you do, that's not a skill or a job. Just one thing you love about your personality, your identity, something. It might be really hard. You might have to like work with this person, but find a person. What's something you love and celebrate about yourself? Go for it. And if you hate talking to people, and this is going to drive you absolutely nuts, you can just kind of sit there and like do a little thing like this, and we will respect your privacy. Yeah.
Okay, I hope that you talk about this all day long, things that you love about yourself, things that you love about others. Uh, but do, the, do what these artists have done. <laughs> Find the God and the worth and the value and the particularity of you in the story. Find the things that you love about yourself and celebrate about yourself. And then don't stop there. <laughs> once you know that you are of worth, once you know that you are of value, you can stop trying to earn it. You can stop trying to earn your value. You can stop trying to earn your worth. You can stop comparing yourself to everyone you meet. And with all of that energy you have left over, <laughs> just see what it would be like to work for wholeness of your community instead, to work for justice instead, to work for the kingdom instead, not because you have to. Even if you don't, this community will love you and God will love you. But because when you know your worth, you can live out of that in a generous and risky way and live knowing that you are loved, others are loved, and there are things we can do together. Amen. Amen.